The Retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. On this week's show, we're uh, going to take uh, influence from a listener's email, actually. They emailed us and kind of entitled it themselves, uh, uh, allocating me for my fund number or how I allocate my assets for a fund number. Somebody along those lines, Jim's got the email in front of him. But uh, when we we got this in, kind of, I talked about it a little bit for a couple minutes with Jim before the show here, and it sounded like... uh, uh, we could uh, we'll, we'll do what we do at the beginning of many years on the podcast, kind of in the January, February time frame, is take this opportunity to make sure we spell out kind of how our approach differs from more traditional or or more common retirement planning approaches so that uh, new listeners of ours who are kind of maybe trying to follow along, kind of jumped into the podcast midstream can uh, maybe get up to speed with some of the fundamentals of our approach to retirement planning. So we're going to kind of chat a little bit about and share with you our thoughts about this listener's approach, how he's kind of taking some of what we do and and what we uh, propose on the podcast here, doing it himself. And, and uh, he's kind of taking a little, little bit of uh, liberty or freedom with the approach. And we'll, we'll comment on what we like, dislike, and otherwise. So thought this would be valuable for everybody because it'll allow us to kind of uh, hopefully summarize in one show the uh, our general approach and philosophy towards retirement planning. So I'll bring Jim in. He can maybe uh, fill in any gaps that I left from the description of what we're trying to do today. But uh, um, yeah, hopefully I kind of captured the theme. You did a pretty good job. You did a heck of a lot better job than I did trying to explain to you what we're going to talk about. <laughs> So I think you did a good job. But yeah, folks, this is one of those emails. I have a little folder that I created uh, a while ago now uh, that I call EDU topics. And when I get these really long emails, if again, if you want to try to get a question answered, and let's say you have three or four of them, you might want to send me three or four different emails spread out. Don't send them all at once. The shorter the email, the easier it is going to be for me to read. Most likely, you'll get on our Q&A show. 
But the long ones, where you share a lot of background, and I have nothing against that. You're more than welcome to. They go into my EDU folder. And I thought, for the reasons that Chris listed, this would be a good one to kick off uh, a jan- well, is it January when the show plays, or is it going to be February? Uh, yeah, this is going to play on the last day of January, so we're ah. squeezing it in. Squeezing it in. Because he really is a relatively new listener. He's been listening for a year and a half. And he shares a lot of information about what he likes and learned about our approach and how he's approaching his own retirement. This is almost a, a cross between a traditional question and a dialogue question for that new series we tried to do every quarter now where we call dialogue where we give you guys a topic idea you send us email and we'll conversationally and we read your email and try to have a dialogue until chris can make this a live dialogue which are you still working on that by the way i'm kicking around okay kicking Kicking around some ideas maybe folks maybe i got my fingers crossed come march when we're supposed to do our dialogue series, come like mid-March, around the Ides of March, if you're a uh, Julius Caesar fan, uh, maybe Chris will be up and running with a way to actually call in and have dialogue with us. Who knows? Okay, so I thought this would be a good show. It's going to allow Chris and I to summarize our, our philosophy and approach, which is just one of many approaches to retirement planning. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you at least have accepted or like some of our approach, which is dramatically different than the quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate with whatever number you want to use, 4%, 4.8, 5%, 2.9, whatever. Everybody has a different safe withdrawal rate. Our approach is dramatically different than the safe withdrawal rate. Monte Carlo projected probability statistic based retirement plan. And if you're a newer listener, I would go back. I don't even think you can get it on iTunes anymore. It may be available on other platforms, but I think Apple removes things after a year. I don't know. But we did a whole series, I think, at the dawn of COVID. It was in January of 2020 now, so about four years ago. Do you remember that, Chris, where we did, I think, Five parts mm-hmm. on our approach, the why we do things our way and the how. Wasn't that January of 2020? Do you know off the Might top of your head? Well, let me look while you're chatting here. Okay. I believe it was in January of 2020. If you are a relatively new listener, you can go, because I don't think you can get these shows on regular podcast platforms any longer. But if you go to the podcast website, help with my, nope, nope. that's the other one. Um, theretirementandirashow.com. If you go to that website in the search box, I think you just have to type, um, I don't know, what would they type, Chris? Are you in this? Are you on our um, website yeah, looking I'll, it up? I'll let them know here. Okay. So Chris will tell you what you type in, in the website. Listen to that five-part series. It's It's old now. It's four years old, going probably entering its fifth mm-hmm. year. So it's technically old, and we'll probably do another whole series. We've received a couple of email requests to update that series with, again, a new series, again, talking about our approach. But for now, listen to that, because our approach to retirement is truly different. I believe passionately in it, and you either like it or you don't. 
You don't have to believe in everything Chris and I believe in, but the concepts. And that's what I liked about this gentleman, Zeman. He does ask some very specific questions, but he lends a lot of background of, of why he's adopted a lot of our approach. And I just thought this would be a pretty good email to use as an EDU and a nice topic that to revisit because it's been a very long time since we specifically concentrated on our approach to retirement. Um, did you find Chris? The, the I did. Website? So if you go to our, uh, the podcast website, the retirement and and then you click on our past shows, it's a button towards the top. And that's where the search bar will show up, but you don't have to re- probably the quickest way instead of going to the search bar, you'll notice if you scroll down, you can see, uh, months, latest one being January of 2024, and all the shows published each month. And you can scroll down to January of 2020. You were right. It was January of 2020, January 22nd of 2020, specifically where the first of that five-part series aired uh, or was released. And you can pick up, there's a couple of the shows in January, and then it um, first two parts And then parts uh, three, four, and five are actually in February of 2020. So that'd be the fastest way to find it. Although you could, in the search bar, put retirement planning approach and process, and it would find it as well. But if you just go into January 2020, you'll find it very quickly. And if you uh, are a recent podcast uh, listener, just picked us up. That uh, would be very revealing. You'll have to go through five shows, but that's going to give you a much deeper understanding of our approach uh, than what we're going to do today. Today's going to be more of the summary version of that. Absolutely. Listen to all five and listen to them in order. I believe we start two shows on the why. And I've always said this. Whenever you're talking to a retirement planner and you're considering hiring them, or as a do-it-yourselfer, you are going to approach your retirement projections on your own You should be asking yourself, you should get a mirror, put it down in front of you, sit down, look at yourself. And the very first question you should be asking yourself or the very first question you should be asking an advisor you're thinking of hiring, why? Why are you going to project my retirement in whatever manner you are going to project it? Now, I have told this to colleagues at meetings, um, not seminar like um, conventions excuse me so when I say colleagues of mine these aren't friends of mine I've told you when I go to conventions which I go to all the time Chris will be going to the Schwab convention this year he may do things a little differently I go out of my way to sit at tables with people I don't know and you start talking and I would tell people or ask people why do you project retirement the way you do oh my goodness I've realized a lot of people, their answer, Chris, is because that's the way it's done. Right. Or, I, I don't know. What do you mean, why? Well, why are you going to project? Oh, the, the, the great answer is that's the way the software does it. Hopefully, you, as a do-it-yourselfer, are going to answer the question to you back as you're looking in the mirror with more than, well, that's the way the software does it. And I would imagine you guys would, being BGs, as we affectionately call our listeners, do-it-yourself, engineer, personality, mindset, totally into this type engineers. You should be able to answer the why 
a hell of a lot better than that's just the way the software does it. Or I don't know what kind of question is that. And remember, Chris, I don't know exactly how many years ago this was. Might have even been around that time we were doing the whys. I can't remember. We got an email from someone who asked an advisor that. And the advisor told them that was a stupid question. And it was a stupid question, I'm assuming, because the advisor probably had no answer to it. But listen to the first two shows. I go to great lengths telling you why I came up with my process and why I believe in projecting retirement the way I do. Then the last three shows are the how. And we will be updating this series. And it'll be another long series, most likely another five or six shows. But I have every intention sometime this year of doing a totally new one on our approach. But let's jump into today's email. Nice email, Chris. So it begins. Hi, my name is, and he gives his real name, but we're going to call him as we always do. What, Chris? We're going to call him George, I suspect. George. He says, I love your show. I'm 62 and started listening about a year and a half ago as I was preparing to retire myself in June of 2022 after a 35-year career in education. I started listening to a number of different retirement podcasts and a few things, excuse me, that I liked, but I noticed a few things were notably different and intriguing about your show and your approach to retirement. I liked your philosophy so much that I largely used it as a model to design my own retirement plan. So he, Chris, is the example I just gave. He sat in a chair, he put a mirror in front of him, he looked into it, and he asked himself, why am I going to do it this way? And he started researching and learning and came up with his own approach. I'm sure he could answer that question to himself a hell of a lot easier than a lot of advisors can answer the question, why are you going to project my retirement the way you're going to do? But I still love that question. Why? Some of the key concepts that I came up with in the projection of my retirement that I learned from you that really resonated with me were. So here we go, Chris. Why don't we expand upon some of these? Now, I don't know, folks, if he listed these in order of importance, but there's four. Um, He indicated one of them was his favorite, but I don't know if the other three are just randomly listed or not. He said, your emphasis on the importance of the minimum dignity floor. Do you want to run with that for a little bit or do you want me to? Mm. I think it might be better from you because that that the concept of the minimum dignity floor is probably the most um, directly influenced by your thinking around how one might approach retirement. I mean, that's you. You kind of had a f- close to a fully formed minimum dignity floor concept when I started working with you. So I th- I'd call it your baby. My the, baby. The, the rest of it, I I probably you know was was integrated into the system, if you will, for the rest of the development of things like the fund number and how we're going to approach, you know, funding that minimum dignity floor. But the minimum dignity floor itself is your baby. Okay. So Chris is right. That minimum dignity floor concept came to me first. 
many, many years ago. Uh, I, I can't get into it on this podcast. Again, listen to the five-part series we just referenced, and you'll know the strawberry story. And because of that strawberry story, it changed my life forever. And it changed, if you're listening to this podcast for more than a year, it's probably changed your life as well. And that woman went to her grave because she'd be like 109 or 110 right now if she was still alive. She went to her grave probably never knowing the impact that her decisions that led to her being 78 when our paths crossed and unable to afford strawberries, how whatever decisions she made for the first 78 years of her life have impacted me personally and probably countless hundreds, if not a couple of thousand of people nationwide on how they approach their retirement. But I remember when I bought her the strawberries as a 32-year, I was either 30, 31, or 32, somewhere around there. I don't know the exact time, but I know it was in my early, early, early 30s. I was still a police officer, and I was shocked that a woman of her age couldn't afford a pint of strawberries. And it just consumed me. I kid you not, folks. And it changed my life, as you know, Chris. I started, I got on the day shift on the police department, so I'd have my nights free. And I started going to Boston University in the evening studying financial planning. BU was one of the first uh, universities. I don't even think back in the mid-90s when I was doing this, CSU even probably had a financial planning program. Did they, Chris? Mm, No, probably in the early stages, but wasn't fully formed yet. BU was one of the first programs at a national university to study financial planning, uh, to give you an education that allowed you to sit for the CFP exam, I should word it. Um, They were finance majors for, for years, but a program geared specifically to allowing you to sit for the CFP exam and prep, prepping you for it. So when I started studying and learning and getting into doing this, I thought, and to this day still do, I want to make sure I can come up with a way to ensure that our clients will be able to afford strawberries for the rest of their life. And I started thinking and came up with the thought that there are certain expenses that you must cover for the rest of your life, whether you have what, Chris? Whether you have assets or not Exactly. There are certain expenses that don't go away merely because you have no money. This woman obviously had no money. She couldn't afford strawberries. But are strawberries the only expense that you have if you had no money? No. And if I'm going to help people always afford their strawberries, I thought, I've got to kind of decide what are the expenses that must always be covered Whether you have money or not, no matter how long you live, those two features are incredibly important. And that's what gave birth to what I call the minimum dignity floor, food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses. I list them in that order because to me, it's smallest to largest. Now, some will dispute and it bops back and forth between healthcare and housing in any given year, what might cost you more. And for some people, taxes, which for Chris and I, 
are a part of minimum dignity floor, but aren't at the same time. And that's a topic for another day. But taxes can often be a major, major expense in retirement for many of you as well, especially for those of you VGs who diligently saved an always taxable retirement accounts. So the minimum dignity floor concept came into being. But it's one thing to create and isolate and help clients articulate their minimum dignity floor, but it's what I decided to do next with it. And that was, if these expenses continue forever, whether you have money or not, they should be covered with what, Chris? An income stream that does what? Yeah, Something that's going to continue whether you, quote, have money or not, you have accounts or not. And that's the forms the basis for this concept of secure income. Exactly. Now, for many people listening to this show, you will have enough assets. We're running out of them. It's not going to be an issue. I'm not saying for everyone listening to this show, there are certainly a good number of people listening to this show where they might not have enough assets to cover all their expenses. And we as planners, we come across those clients every once in a while as well. Mm -hmm. So we know people are out there that are in this situation. But for many of you, because you are so into this, you most likely saved enough. Again, not all of you, but many of you. And you might be thinking, bah, bah, humbug. I don't need to save or have enough secure income. I've got all these assets. But I'm going to let Chris take over for a second because I need to get a drink. My throat is tickling. But there's another reason why I still passionately, and Chris shares in it, or, or he wouldn't be working with us. With the two of us together believe passionately in secure income, not only for the obvious reason I told you, if minimum dignity for our expenses that will continue forever, whether you have money or not, they should be covered with income that will continue forever, whether you have money or not. But cognitively, there's another reason why we love secure income. And Chris will talk about that now. Yeah. And I think there's there's a couple key things that we believe are really beneficial for retirees to have this kind of foundation, I usually describe it as, uh, foundation to their retirement where they can count on at least their minimum dignity floor expenses being covered with something simple and recurring and reliable. That's secure income, which if you're first time you're hearing that, secure income is essentially social security, pension income if you have it, or income annuities if you have it. So, But a uh, income stream that's very predictable, reliable, will last as long as you do. Uh, all you know, all the things that attract us to using it as our foundation for covering those minimum dignity floor expenses. So, as you age, simplicity is going to become much more important. Um, if you don't believe me, talk to some people who are twenty, thirty, forty years older than you are, and uh, have them open up about the you know the nice recurring deposit into their account every month and how they can still understand that even if they're not able to do a lot of mental manipulation of, of high finance ideas, the simple budget where their check gets deposited in their account every single month on a predictable day and they pay their expenses from it and it's just nice and comforting. 
that's very um, advantageous for retirees. But the other thing, even when you have enough money where you're not likely to run out, we still find people from a behavioral standpoint won't always spend the money they otherwise could because they still have this little voice in the back of their head. What if you run out? What if you run out? What if you run out? Even if there's someone telling them, maybe an advisor or a planner saying, oh, you're not going to run out. You're not going to run out. There's, you know, chances of that are minuscule. They still have this counterparty in the back of their mind convincing them not to spend as much money. Well, you can shush that voice. You can essentially shut that down pretty effectively for most people. Everybody's different, but for most people, when you remind that voice, hey, don't worry about it. If we spend a little bit too fast, our assets dwindle a little more than we expected, we've got this foundation of secure income that's going to protect those most critical expenses of, mi- of the minimum dignity floor, the food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care. So you don't have to be that worried about assets drawing down too quickly. We've got things protected out of, out of kind of a fundamental level. And that just kind of unlocks the door to people spending more when they are young enough, healthy enough, and have the inclination to do it. Not many people are going to be spending a lot of money on travel and other exciting events when they're 85, 90, 95 years old. There's a few out there that are still super active at that point, but most people have slowed down. So if you miss the window of opportunity of retirement until maybe 75, 85 years old, you've missed out on what we call the go-go period where most people have the resources and the energy and the health to go do things that cost a fair bit of money. If that little voice has overridden your desire to do those things, that's a big failure in retirement. And believe it or not, this concept of covering the minimum dignity floor with secure income, even for arguably wealthy people, actually helps shush that voice very effectively. And we find people enjoying their retirement and spending more appropriately on fun things because they've you know, convinced that voice to quiet. So just a couple main things, I think, is where Jim was going with his thoughts on, on kind of why we, why we like this as a fundamental or foundational approach. I was. Uh, and, and great. You covered what I wanted to cover except for the Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. You should know where that goes. You talked about essentially the Harvard study mm-hmm. of cognitive abilities to understand finance, but your favorite Texas yeah, Tech study. and that study. was kind of related to my first comment. I didn't mention the Texas Tech study specifically, but Harvard quite a few years ago came out with a study that kind of proved what we know, that is, as you age, your mental capacities will diminish, and particularly the part of the brain that handles math and other you know, dollars and financial topics. And uh, the, you know, kind of pinnacle age on average for people is their early 50s, somewhere around 53 years old. You're as smart as you're ever going to be is kind of what Harvard was saying. And then On financial topics. On financial topics. And then at some rate, it's going to decline. The rate will be different for everybody, but you'll start to decline at that point. Um, what Texas Tech, more concerningly to me, came out with a study is they showed that not uh, they didn't study the exact same thing as Harvard. What they tried to study is people's confidence in their decision-making as they aged, not their actual decision-making quality, which is what Harvard was studying. And it turns out that your confidence in your abilities doesn't decline like your abilities, which is 
one of the reasons I believe that so many seniors fall victim to financial fraud or or mistakes because they're, they don't realize that they're diminished. They are going forth and thinking they're still processing like a 53-year-old, and they're not, but their brain hasn't warned them to be careful <laughs> that, that they're diminished. And so the simplicity and predictability, they, there's really nothing to think about with secure income as you've fired it up, as it started, and it's still coming in when you're 80, 85, 90 years old. It just is one thing that you can have simplified, as I pointed out kind of at the beginning of my description. But it's, uh, that's related to that Texas Tech study that kind of helps address that. Um, you're, you're not going to make mistakes with your secure income, per se, because it's just coming in. And if you uh, spend it that month and another one comes in the next month and the next month after that and, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. I often call the fact that and Chris is right, Hobbit study was age 53, that after age 53, and it's not a cliff, because if it was a cliff, Chris and I would both be dumb as a brick right now as far as uh, finance goes, but it's a slow decline, some quicker than others, but the part of your brain that understands financial concepts begins to decline after 53. Let's call that vinegar. The Texas Tech study that found that your confidence doesn't decline. If anything, it stays there. I call that the stubborn old man syndrome. That could be baking soda. What happens, Chris, if you mix baking soda and vinegar? Well, we're getting all scientific here. Yes. It's a fairly violent reaction, isn't it, Jim? <laughs> yes, it's a mess. Those two combine or collide in your retirement and can cause a mess. Secure income can help eliminate that issue. It's not going to remove it totally, but it's going to make your life easier. All you VGs, please understand that. The decision to cover your minimum dignity flow with secure income is not yours to make. It's not your advisors to make either. It's the older you who's going to make that decision. When I say it's not yours to make, it's not yours today as a 55, 60, 65-year-old who's, who's plodding through their retirement. Your job is to just make sure that the older you will have enough money reserved, enough money out of your portfolio that you're going to spend on total discretionary frivolous fun things, which is what everyone wants to do. And we believe equally passionately in, and we'll get to that, trust me. But it's not up to the younger you to decide if you're going to cover the minimum dignity flow with secure income. It's the older you. And the older you may very well decide that because they're going to get to a point where they're going to be, I don't want to do this anymore. Or more importantly, I don't want to leave my spouse the complexity of doing this. They're totally, totally not into this. And if something happens to me cognitively or physically or, or mortality, I don't want him or her to be left trying to figure this out. It's going to be a nightmare. I'm going to make it simple. And they may warm up to covering shortages in minimum dignity floor with secure income. Okay. So he continues. I also like that your approach has flexibility, more, excuse me, more flexibility than the 4% rule. And that was key 
with my approach, and Chris equally agrees with it, that our industry, and, and I don't want to turn this into an industry rant. I'll save that for another show. I do that enough. Y'all know, if you listen to this podcast, I don't like my industry. I think it's a fraud. I think they charge way too much and deliver far too little. But our industry and the approach to retirement that they do, I feel, unnecessarily curtails spending on fun early in retirement by limiting you to spending no more than the safe withdrawal rate, which has you know, been termed the quote-unquote 4% rule, that you do not spend equally on fun throughout your retirement. We strive to try to help people overcome everything that Chris and I just described to you on MDF and funding it. That's emotional, folks. We're just trying to help you with the emotional fear and the irrationality for those of you who have more than enough money that running out isn't necessarily a concern. You still may have difficulty in spending. So the lifetime stream of guaranteed income, which I like to call the bottomless cup of coffee, emotionally makes you feel more comfortable spending. But also being able to Physically, I don't know if that's the correct word, but physically show you the different positions in your portfolio, the different needs that you have in your portfolio and get you to understand, I don't need to limit my fun. I could spend X amount of dollars on fun and I should do that. During the go-go phase, during my initial phase, why limit your fun to a safe withdrawal rate? Because the 85, 90, 95-year-old you who must still cover their minimum dignity floor isn't going to be running around doing as much, quote-unquote, fun things as you would as a 60-year-old or 63, 65, 68, whatever age it is you're going to retire at. Or 70. Or some people might work to 75 or 80. Everyone's different. But this notion that you have to restrict your spending on fun early in retirement because you might need it later for fun, to me, is silly. Because at some point in time, we share this constantly with you guys. You're not getting younger, stronger, and healthier. We know how this ends. We start our lives incapable of taking care of ourselves and totally dependent on others. And if you live long enough, sadly, some of us, not all of us, but a good chunk of us who live long enough, will end their lives totally dependent on others to take care of them. It's a vicious circle. And it doesn't reverse. And at any given time, you will suffer something It may not kill you, but your ability to do fun, or at least fun, that you have come to know and love is over forever. It should have been me. You all know this three years ago in my stroke. Don't know why, but I fully recovered. Doctor to this day doesn't know why. Should be paralyzed or dead. But that doesn't happen all the time. And someday... 
you will be the quote-unquote other guy. Because we always like to think, that's oh, not going to happen to me. Someone else is going to have the stroke or the heart attack or the cancer diagnosis or the dementia or the, the um, Parkinson's or the heart attack. It's always going to be someone else. Sooner or later, it's going to be you. So no, we don't believe in restricting spending on fun. And that's what he leads into where he says, my favorite of your concepts, the fun number. That was not born when I came up with the concept of the minimum dignity floor and secure income. That slowly developed. And you all know the story. So I won't get into it with the teardrop camper and the new pickup truck for someone who had a lot of secure income. And I recently chatted with that couple again, Chris. Um, by recently, I mean, I think about two or three weeks ago. And uh, I mentioned to them that to this day, I still talk about this whole situation of encouraging them. And I think I shared that on the podcast. They still haven't visited every national park. Remember? Remember mm-hmm. I mentioned that not too long ago? Mm-hmm. They With the teardrop camper, Chris? Yep. Yeah. So the fun number concept was something that came to me and I shared with Chris and he thought it was a reasonable approach as well that as we're protecting for minimum dignity floor, there's other expenses as well that we believe people should cover aging and long-term care reserves, pre-funded inheritances, as well as uh, emergency reserve or buffer asset. And once you start subtracting all of these expenses out of your portfolio, once you quantify in a lump sum in today's dollars what you need to satisfy your minimum dignity floor, your prefunded inheritance, your aging and long-term care, your buffer and reserve, what's left, Chris? Really, what's left is the, the fund pool, the fund number that we call it which is just the pool of money that you're starting in retirement on day one that is not spoken for for any of your other priority items and is purely discretionary on your part and does not need to necessarily last the rest of your life if you don't want it to because this is the pot of money that's going to be for splurging and travel and hobbies and all that kind of we call it fun stuff. That's why we playfully call it the fun number, but it's the spend it as you please because you have already kind of set aside all the other reserves you might need for your priorities, things that you have decided you must cover before you start spending the rest on fun. And having that number in hand uh, turns out to be quite handy when you're deciding, you know, how should I control my splurge money in the go-go years of, of retirement, which is really what we're trying to do. We're in trying to unlock all the potential possible in the go-go years of retirement without causing you to regret spending that much later on because something else was left uncovered. But this approach, while not perfect and, and could you know, develop issues over time, uh, no approach is perfect, but we think it does a pretty good job of kind of focusing in on 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 that result exactly and that kind of leads into his other item he told you there was four things he liked stressing the importance of creating multiple streams of lifelong income 
including the possible use of annuities to help do this. And that is secure income he's referencing. Chris and I mentioned secure income, but really secure income is, and this is my definition, just one that I created. You all can have your own definitions of what you consider secure. Uh, it's not set in stone. But to me, it should be, number one, predetermined and known. There's no ambiguity. We can pretty accurately project at minimum what you should receive today, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 35 years from now. It should be predetermined and known. Number two, secure income. If it moves at all, it can only go up, never down. And number three, it's not backed by your assets. It's backed by a deep-pocketed third party. That's a concept called risk pooling. If you, again, my best example a zebra on the Serengeti. You might think, wow, I'm a happy zebra. I get the whole Serengeti. Now, let's assume it's a Serengeti after the rainy season. So it's all nice and green and the grass is blowing in the wind and you're happy as a pig and you know what. And you're a zebra and you're out there and you don't have to share it with anybody. It's all yours. And you're eating all that grass and you think life is good. Chris, what happens if a pack of lions come by? Hungry lions, I might add. A nice, happy, fat zebra standing alone in the Serengeti is uh, quite tasty looking. And most likely, he will end up on the menu uh, for those lions that night. Mm -hmm. But if that zebra pooled his risk, what do I mean by that, Chris? Well, if he hung out with a bunch of his zebra friends, then... Called a herd. Yeah, in the herd. He's got protection of sorts in that the lions can't take the whole herd simultaneously. So there's a decent chance he's going to escape. Did you ever folks stop and think about this? Seriously, I know it might be a silly metaphor, but my God, it's so true. And I don't to this day understand. Well, no, I do understand people's hatred of annuities. Chris and I, if you listen to this podcast, you might think we're pro-annuity. We're not. I'm not pro-annuity. I'm not negative annuity. I'm negative my industry at times, but blanketly running out and trying to convince people that annuities are bad. And there are, there are a lot of crap-ass annuities out there, folks. I will freely admit that. And that's why I'm trying to teach you guys how to find the good from the bad and avoid the hucksters who are trying to sell the bad ones. Tell them to go pound tar. But look at it this way. Do you ever wonder why? Zebra's herd, mackerel, uh, don't tell me, don't tell me, flock, no, that's birds, geese flock, mackerel, uh, what, uh, the, the fish there, what do they do? Don't, damn it, school. There you go. Oh, that out of nowhere. <laughs> do you ever wonder why nature has these animals risk pooling, folks? If you're trying to fund your retirement on your own, if something goes wrong, it's going to be harder for you to avoid disaster. If you are a lone mackerel, a lone goose, or a lone zebra, and you're on the Serengeti and lions come by, or you're a, a goose and there's a hunter nearby, or if you're a mackerel and there's a blue tuna nearby, hungry, all of them, you're probably going down. 
if you're with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, and in the case of some of these animals, millions, your chance of survival is far greater. Someone's still going to go down, but your chance of survival is far greater. That's risk pooling. Yet, in our industry and in your mind, folks, risk pooling, your retirement risk through the use of lifetime guaranteed secure income, optimizing your social security, not jumping onto the bandwagon of taking a lump sum from a well-funded pension. And yes, oh my God, the evil word, buying an annuity. And when we say that, we are generally talking a single, the most pure annuity, single premium immediate annuity. We'll get into that uh, in June with our annuity dedicated month. That's risk pooling. That's you being a zebra in a herd, a mackerel in a school, or a goose in a flock. If it's good enough for nature, which is based on more than thousands, I'd say hundreds of thousands to millions of years of common sense evolution, why isn't it good enough for you with your retirement? Anyways, just want to propose that out there. So he continues... Our financial picture includes a $30,000 a year pension, Chris, he says. And I have already started receiving it from the state. He worked for the state. We have $800,000 combined in a state retirement account held at, guess where, Chris? TIAA. I knew you were going to say that. I should have gave you a better hint. Vanguard. I wanted to give a shout out to all our VGs out there, our Vanguardians. So he has $800,000. Chris made a great guess because he is an educator. It's generally TIAA is huge in the educational field, but apparently here they were using Vanguard or he moved it from TIAA to Vanguard. He says, although I am a DIY, do-it-yourselfer, financial planner throughout my career, I do not consider myself an engineer or a Vanguard engineer by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm sure you guys will disagree with how I've implemented some of your ideas. So as I read these ideas, Chris, why don't you share if you agree with his approach or disagree in a friendly way? Okay. For one, I used 400000 of our 800,000 of liquid retirement assets to purchase an immediate lifetime joint and survivor annuity from the state with my wife receiving 100% if I pass away. I'm guessing you're sitting there thinking, We should have waited on this until we were older. But this was a one-time offer my state gave me and my wife. And we were watching our retirement nest egg evaporate right before our eyes all through 2022. And I am rapidly approaching my retirement date. This annuity will pay us $20,000 per year. 
and give us a 3% annual cost of living adjustment no matter how long I or my wife live. The pension also has a cost, and this part confuses me, Chris. Maybe you know and you've seen something. The pension also has a cost of living adjustment built in. Oh, his pension. Okay, this is the annuity. His pension that he has has a COLA, but it's tied to the CPI rather than a set percentage that my annuity has. So let's pause there. Do you agree or disagree with what he did? Well, we don't have his whole backstory about why he's doing it, but I'm not going to say it's you know blatantly a bad idea. I think what he was referring to is our general recommendation that you wait until you are sure you need it and uh, you're comfortable handing the dollars over to an insurance company to then give you this lifetime stream of income, make sure that things have evolved uh, and, and you truly need it. You're not basing the decision on kind of a projection from 10 or 20 years prior. Um, so we prefer you hang on to it, but I could see if there was a, an opportunity, um, where he had to jump on it. Plus he was having some emotional reaction that he was trying to squash, uh, during the market declines. I mean, that's an unfortunate time to make a lot of financial decisions is when you're emotional, but I'm not sure that this was necessarily bad. I don't see anything blatantly wrong with doing it. No, I I agree, and I, I know a little bit more of where he's going with this than you do, and all our listeners because of other things he wrote. And we may not get through this whole letter on this EDU show, so we'll wrap it up on the next EDU show. And I think once you hear a little bit of his backstory, what he did kind of makes sense. But Chris and I often say financial planning is as much an art as it is a science. And that is true. And the art part of financial planning or retirement planning, you could go either way, listener, and I'll just be brutally honest, that maybe you made too emotional of a decision and you shouldn't have done what you did. Conversely, you could easily make an argument that no, this is a one-time deal from the state. They weren't going to offer it again. The state generally has good pockets. I would hope that the state is, I don't even know if he listed his state. No, he doesn't. So I have no idea. But hopefully it's not a state that might be more financially crazy like Illinois or California. Hopefully it's a state that might be a little uh, better funded. And if you you are in Illinois or California, I'm not saying they're going to go under, but financially they are not as strong as some other states. But it was a one-time offer as a 3% COLA. It's going to give you joint and survivor the same payout forever. And it's going to give you peace of mind. I could go either way, even with what else I know that you share with us. I'm still, I'm hesitant. I don't know. I'm just being open and honest, listener. I don't know if you made the right decision. It could go either way. But one thing I do want to pick up on that Chris did pick up on, emotions. Don't ever make a decision driven by emotions when it comes to finance. I've often said on this show, I don't feel most accumulation savers for retirement need to pay an investment advisor to, quote unquote, manage their money. I just believe in that. 
I don't think you need to. I think most investing now um, has been dumbed down. It's been commoditized. You can have, quote unquote, robo advisors do it. Most 401ks and 403bs and even the TSP have an auto investment feature where, yes, an algorithm most likely is managing it, but they're taking the emotions out of investing for you. And to me, an investment, as I said, the term investment advisor, an investment advisor is just a drain. Honestly, I believe passionately in this and I piss off our industry all the time. Their AUM fee, uncapped AUM fee is just a drain on your assets and a a new car in their driveway probably every two or three years, especially if you have five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand that they're managing for you. However, a financial planner, especially one that doesn't charge you an annual AUM fee, but it's just one you hire as needed or is willing to charge you a flat fee, could have helped you avoid making an emotional decision. And maybe it would have, for all you do it yourself first, swallow your pride a little and say, I gotta bring in a professional. I'm sitting here looking out my window in my sunroom, which I affectionately call the dead animal room because I have a couple of of, of, um, mounts in here. But Chris, you know, it's got all those windows. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a tree. Where the hell am I going with this? I'm looking at a tree. I used to be an arborist before I became a cop, before I became a financial planner. And for years, and to this day, I still heat with firewood. I cut my own firewood. I split my own firewood. But I recently hired someone to cut the tree down that I'm looking at. It's starting to die. I don't like it. And I want to get rid of it. I could theoretically do it myself. But for a variety of reasons, I thought, well, no, I'm old. I don't know if I should do it. They're going to do a better job. And I brought him in. I got a second opinion. I told him he gave me a fair price and I'm hiring him. My point is I swallowed my pride and said, yes, I can do this myself. And it's not the money that I can afford to pay to have it cut down or I could keep the money in the bank. If I kept the money in the bank, it's not all of a sudden going to make me so wealthy that everything is taken care of. So the money wasn't a deciding factor here. I just thought I'm going to have a professional come in. It doesn't hurt you guys every once in a while to keep yourselves from making an emotional decision. And listener who wrote this email, I am not saying you made the wrong decision. I could very well go either way on this. But I'm trying to help all our listeners understand when you're do-it-yourselfer, you are still falling victim to emotions. It's a very powerful, powerful pull on you. You're looking at your money going down. I don't know what kind of retirement plan he put in place, but he's panicking that his money's going down. Maybe the money that was going down wasn't money he really needed for another 20 years. I don't know. I don't know what he did, but he was panicking because money was going down. Now, he didn't share with us money that I needed in five years was dropping and I was freaking out. Well, some would argue you should have had your money invested a little differently. But if this is why I believe in the concept of a see-through portfolio and the concept of investment positions, if the money that was dropping was money that you wouldn't need for 30 years or 20 years, maybe you wouldn't have made that emotional decision. Maybe a good financial planner and a second opinion or someone who can at least talk you off the ledge would have helped here. And buying an hour or two or three or four of their time for a one-time 
engagement if need be might have been a better approach or and i know there's a lot of groups one is the the rock retirement club we've spoken about them on the podcast maybe belonging to a group of your peers you do it yourselfers and look at do you know the website for the rockers there chris is it just rockretirementclub.com i think it probably is okay it makes sense chris will look it up but maybe joining an organization like that where where even though the Rock Retirement Club was started by a very competent financial planner, who, because I'm so terrible with it, Roger Whitney, well, I pulled that out of nowhere because I am so terrible with names. And I met him. I had the pleasure of meeting him finally when they invited me to go speak in, in was it last, was it October, November last year, Chris, whatever. It was in Texas, September, I think it was, uh, in Texas of last year. And I loved it. I had fun. Finally met Roger, very competent financial planner. Even though he started this, it doesn't push his services. He doesn't even talk about it. This is something totally different. He told me when we went out to lunch together, he was trying to create a quote-unquote safe space for do-it-yourselfers to feel comfortable, to share ideas and help each other. Maybe you do-it-yourselfers need that type of peer networking. Now, I'm not pushing Rock Retirement Club. It's up to you to do your own due diligence. But there's groups out there. I'm sure I'm not into this social media crap at all. But I bet you there is uh, Facebook friends and and uh, what else is there, Roger, Chris? Because I have no idea. LinkedIn, although LinkedIn is for businesses. Facebook, right? Isn't that where people mm-hmm. would go? Yeah, there's groups. Facebook. Facebook groups, yeah, right? Facebook Isn't that what they're called? Yeah. Okay, there might be retirement related Facebook groups. I have no idea how that works. I'm not on Facebook or something like the Rock Retirement Club. So all you do it yourselfers out there, you don't want to fall victim to an emotional decision. And and again, listener who sent this email, Chris and I don't have enough info to really tell you if we feel you made an emotional decision or not. If putting half of your available liquid retirement assets into an additional 20,000 a year, growing at 3%, joint and survivor, 100% survivor income stream was wise or not. It's more of an art than a science at this point, so I don't know. But I am going to encourage you, listener who sent this email, and all listeners, if you're not going to work with a financial advisor, maybe you should join some type of group, even if it's a local group. Y'all know I'm thinking of moving to Ohio and little little uh, squirrel here. I was on the phone yesterday, Chris, you know, we're looking for uh, new consultants to to assist with with some parts of our practice. And I was interviewing a client of a consultant I'm considering hiring who just happened to be guess where, because you don't know the story. Guess where, Chris? Ohio. Ohio. In in Cincinnati, Ohio. And as we're talking, I mentioned to him, I'm thinking of moving to Cincinnati. And what do you think was the first thing he said? Why? <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs> really? Why? <laughs> Anyways, I'm not really sure where I was going with that. My mind is totally lost. So there was something I was trying to lead into, and my mind just it You're escaped. Joining me. a group to learn about the situation. Oh. I wasn't afraid to ask him for that advice. And when I told him I was moving to Cincinnati, he said, why? And thank you. This makes me think of where I'm going. There is a meetup group in Cincinnati. 
I told you meetup.com, M-E-E-T-U-P, meetup.com is probably the only social media that I belong to. And it's a wonderful place. In, in Colorado, I belong to a lot of hiking groups, and I meet a lot of people, hence the name Meet Up and Go Hiking. So I joined, I created a Cincinnati profile. Anyways, there is a stock investors meetup group. Um, I joined. I've never been to the meeting. I don't buy individual stocks, but I just thought it would be cool to go out and meet some people. I've never gone to any of their events, but I always get the invites. Obviously, being in Colorado and not Ohio right now, it's hard for me to go. But hopefully someday when I'm visiting Ohio, I can go. But I thought, what a cool idea is that? And in his description, he said, hey, we're just going to meet, bounce ideas off each other. Emotional ideas, investment ideas, try to share in the knowledge and wisdom. That's what I'm getting at. Rather than approaching it himself, he thought, hey, I'm going to create this group and try to bring people together. Anyways, what are your thoughts where I'm trying to go with this, Chris? Mm -hmm. I think that's a good idea for people trying to do it themselves. They have a sounding board to bounce ideas off of and learn from others. You just have to find the group that kind of fits with your philosophy and and uh, you're not going to get sucked into a group maybe that has a lot of bad advice going on, you know, <laughs> giving you the opposite of what you really need. But uh, I think that's a good idea, and I have no hesitation with uh, you know people looking into the and it is RockRetirementClub.com for those who want to look up what we were just talking about, and they have periodic open enrollment, uh, and I think there's one coming up here in February, but it's a uh, group of do-it-yourselfers that kind of, there's tools that they provide as part of the club. It's not just a, a forum where you talk amongst yourselves. There's actually tools available in there and and uh, different people that have got some subject matter expertise. And uh, I, I hear very positive things about it from people that I talk to. Yeah, it's, it's definitely for do-it-yourselfers. Mm-hmm. You don't join that and expect someone to do a plan for you. But it's a great sounding board for do-it-yourselfers, similar to what this gentleman in Cincinnati tried to create with his stock group. Just a place to share ideas in a safe environment. No sales allowed uh, in rock and no, I would assume no sales allowed. I've never been to the Cincinnati group. So I encourage you guys to do that. And I also encourage you to at least start forming a relationship with an advisor or an advisory firm, or if you don't even want to start the relationship, maybe have the name of an advisor or advisory firm that you might recommend your spouse contact if something happens to you. Very rarely do we see both spouses totally into this. I don't think it's unheard of, but I would put that in the unicorn category. Wouldn't you, Chris? It's usually one or the other. Mm -hmm. True. Maybe every once in a while we come across one where both spouses are totally into it. It wouldn't hurt if, unless both spouses are totally into it, for you to start having, because even having a a networking group isn't going to help a spouse who's not into this. Because they're not going to join Rock or join whatever Facebook group you might be on or whatever and try to learn all this. They're going to be, oh, God. I got to go out and find someone to help me. And chances are they'll go hire someone who they probably shouldn't have. So I would encourage you do it yourself, Vanguard VGs. Chris and I know you, you despise hiring advisors, but you should at least try to form a relationship with one. Or 
at least have the name of an advisor that you would recommend your spouse consider because you might not be here or you might not be. You could be the other guy someday and not be in a position to handle this anymore. Okay, back to his point of the emotional decision. Please try never to make a decision based on emotions. And maybe, just maybe, if this guy did belong to a group, he could have shared his ideas of what he was thinking with the group or hire an advisor who is not going to charge him a percentage of his damn assets, an advisor who will charge him preferably a fixed fee or an hourly fee to say, hey, I'll, I'll help you talk you off that ledge or tell you to go ahead and make that purchase. But be very careful if it's an AUM advisor, because there's a huge conflict of interest there. If they're trying to get your money, that 800000 and manage it at 1% of assets, say, and you're hiring them to decide, should I give you 400000 or should I give you 800000 Chris, from a potential conflict of interest standard, what do you think the advisor might think? I'm not saying they would. But could think. Well, they have a financial incentive to talk you out of the annuity purchase. So you can bring over more assets to them for them to manage and charge fees upon. Now, uh, one acting as a true fiduciary should not behave that way. But there's been study after study show that the financial incentives do sway the advice, the professional advice you get. May not completely, you know, invalidate it. But it certainly is a bias that you need to be aware of. Yeah. I wouldn't hesitate to tell that advisor, go pound tar. I'm not going to charge you a percentage of my assets for you to give me advice. I would like a hourly fee or flat fee for helping me determine this. And if they don't want to do it, I would move on, find someone who would. Okay. Do we have time to keep going or should we wrap this no, up? No, we next probably need to wrap up. this one just because we've got to uh, move on here. Okay. But we can circle so, back to this and maybe do this in the next show. We will. I think this he gets into some other good things, folks. This will become a two-part EDU, a little deep dive into the situation. And hopefully just giving you guys some food for thought as you're trying to navigate your own retirement plan. And I kid you not. Put a mirror in front of you, sit down and ask yourself, why am I going to project my retirement the way I'm going to? Make sure you can answer the why. And those whys, I'd write them down. And share them with your spouse who's not into this at all. Or at least write them down and say, hey, if I die, open this envelope. And in that envelope, the why you did what you did. And hopefully the name of someone that they can contact if they need to. Mm -hmm. I'm totally serious on this, folks. Be that goose in a flock, that mackerel in a school, or that zebra in the herd. Not just in the case of lifetime guaranteed secure income, but also in helping fund and plan your retirement for the rest of your life. Don't be afraid to seek some sort of guidance and help. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's continue okay. this next month. Actually, that is true. Next month. Next, next month. month. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Like uh, Jim said, we'll pick this back up and finish this out uh, in the next EDU show next week. Uh, in the meantime, stay tuned later this week for our Q&A show. 
Appreciate everybody listening, and we'll be back next week with that uh, next new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 